The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, Dietrich Good, New Testament scholar, wrote a book about the ethics of Jesus' teachings. And she entitled the book, Jesus' Family Values. The disturbing nature of our readings today is that we are being unseated from everything that we expect. And it's not just us who are being unseated, it is also Jesus' closest followers. It is Elisha in that ancient story of being called by Elijah to become a prophet. It is in the writing of Paul to a quarrelsome early Christian community trying to figure out where it belonged in a much larger and strange and mixed-up world. It gets us to the premise that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about nearly 80 years ago now, or over 80 years, when he said that in our tradition, grace is free, that is, freely given, but discipleship, that is, to follow after Jesus, is costly. Very costly. Bonhoeffer himself would bear witness to that when he gave his life for the confessing church in the face of Nazi oppression.
The other thing that's going on in today's readings reminds me of the way I was taught to teach piano many years ago. Fran Larimer, who was a renowned music pedagogy teacher at Northwestern University, taught that her basic philosophy about teaching music was that we engage in practice in the art of exaggeration. So what do we do? We slow things down. We sometimes exaggerate the volumes of the instrument. We observe the motions of big muscles and small muscles. We take time to digest all of those things because this is how we are wired neurologically. We have to show our bodies what to do. And you could say that Jesus' style of teaching is much along the same lines. He uses the rabbinical style of teaching, which is about exaggeration, to get our attention and to move us out of those places of complacency that often, as Paul would say, enslave us. And nowhere is that more true than in our family systems, right? Because we were born into them. We were wired into them, you could almost say. Those first neurological pathways that were laid down in our brains were in the family system of our origin. And as we all know, when we are being honest, those family systems were less than perfect. And it's sort of like parents, too. When we have children, we discover they don't come with an, an instruction manual, right? And strangely enough, with all the counseling we do, when we get married, the marriage didn't come with an instruction manual either. It's true of our friendships as well. And given the news this week, I think it's worth saying it's true of our relations as a body, as a people. We're like a big family right now, in the midst of a long-standing family feud over a highly complex and difficult moral question. And the truth of the matter is, we're not very good at dealing with that as a people. And the people who are most vulnerable like the most vulnerable members of our family, are the ones who suffer the most in the midst of that conflict. Backing up to the first century, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's taking a direct route from Galilee, which means he has to go through Samaria. Now, if you want to know about a family conflict Think of the Jews and the Samaritans in the first century. For nearly half a millennia, they have been divided. The Samaritans were the ones who were left behind during the Babylonian exile when Jerusalem was destroyed and emptied. And when the faithful Jews came back from Babylon, their vision of the world had changed substantially, and so had their tradition. Samaritans who had been left behind in Samaria 
had kept their traditions and also evolved. And they suddenly found themselves on very different pages. It's the origin of that family conflict. And no one is more acutely aware of that than Jesus' disciples. The Samaritans don't like Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem has been lording it over them for centuries. And laying claim to the tradition and saying it belongs to us and it belongs to the temple. And the Samaritans have been irritating their brothers and sisters by saying, no, the tradition belongs here with the patriarchs, here near Jacob's well. This is where the center of things is. And so by the time Jesus is making his journey, taking the shortcut through Samaria, the disciples are uncomfortable. It's like going through a foreign country to them, but even more than that, enemy territory. And so when the Samaritans reject Jesus, because they see he's headed to Jerusalem, the place they least like, the disciples want to pull out what you might call an Elijah. And they recount a well-known story from the prophetic tradition about Elijah calling the fire down from heaven, because that's what we're supposed to do to our spiritual enemies, isn't it? Jesus rebukes them. He rejects that. No, he says. This is not the way. This is not the way. And of course we have those profoundly difficult teachings as Jesus meets people along the road. He tells one who wants to follow him, He says, let let me follow you. The subtext is, let me go where you're going. Jesus basically tells him, in almost as many words, I'm going nowhere. There's not a destination here. Get that out of your head now. It will get in your way otherwise. Foxes have holes. Sparrows have nests. But the Son of Man, he says, has nowhere to lay his head. And he says to someone else, follow me. And here we have that parallel with that ancient story of Elijah calling Elisha today. The initial response comes back, well, let me go and bury my father first. That's what good families do, right? Family comes first. And Jesus, in probably his most unsettling teaching in all of this, says, let the dead bury their own dead. Your first job, he says, is to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's almost cruel. Or maybe you can drop the almost from the sentence. But again, this is Jesus at his most rabbinical He's exaggerating to make a point. He knows that our blood ties and our family ties and the things that we hold most precious and dear in this life are the things that we have the hardest time 
dealing with and letting go of when they get in the way of something greater. And any psychotherapist will tell you often that something greater is just a matter of healing. We hang on to things so tightly that we can squeeze the life out of them. We hang on to them so tightly we lose sight of the fact that, you know, in our closest relationships, for each of us, there's always a level of dysfunction. We have to gain some distance from that if we're going to have any chance of resolving. Paul writes about this in theological terms. He pulls up this word, in Greek it's sark, We translate it as flesh, but another close translation might be even meat. There's a way in which Paul is writing to this early Christian community, and he's saying, you know what, you're more than a sack of hormones. Well, we know that, right? Yeah, we do, but do we behave like that? That's the question, right? I'm still learning that. How about you? So Paul, again, in almost a rabbinical style, creates this exaggerated contrast between spirit and flesh. and talks about all the things we see in the world. The violence, the degradation, the lack of respect for human dignity the ways we fail to care for one another, the dysfunction that is close at home and very much abroad, the warfare, the strife, the dissension, the things we like least about being in church, you know, the things we hate to see in one another, most of all when we look in the mirror. Paul says these are the things we struggle with. The Spirit of God is delivered to us that free grace to help us begin to heal those places of dysfunction. But here's the hard thing. We have to put that life with God first if we're going to have any chance at all in resolving the things that are closest to our hearts and closest to our lives. If we are going to become part of the healing, we have to let God in. I dare say that Bonhoeffer might argue to us the way of Jesus freely given to us begins not out there and not even in here, but in the places that are closest to us places we cling to most closely, the things we value the most. The challenge Jesus is saying is you don't have to follow yourself there. Instead, follow me. Follow Christ. Recognize that we don't arrive in that journey of healing and redemption and learning to love one another better, but that it is a journey. 
let go of the easy claims that tend to take our attention away from what is good and what is nourishing and what is holy. To set aside those things that are deep and hormonal and automatic, give ourselves up to something greater. And that is the God who made us to begin with. Then there's a chance. A holy chance. Of becoming a new people. Of being a new family. Of becoming the creatures that God made us to be. Of learning to love each other in the way God wants us to. That's the holy journey before us. And of course, Jesus might remind us, never think you've arrived. If you're like me, you know when you think you've arrived, you're in trouble. Somehow, by the law of the universe, I'm always reminded of that when I get complacent. We are on this journey together. The good news is we always have been. The better news yet is we always will be. The best news is the path is right before our feet. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.